The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you invest in precious metals or mining? There are some risks involved, but done well, the rewards can be lucrative. This is the Mining Stock Report, a look at today's investing with a focus on mining and gold. Your host is Christopher Haugen. We'll speak to the experts and the leaders, as well as bring you tips on investing, best practices, and more. Now, here's Christopher Haugen. Welcome to the Mining Stock Report. I'm your host for the next hour, Christopher Haugen, and we have a great show lined up for you today. I'd like to take a few seconds to remind our audience, and I'm also the managing editor of a financial newsletter, uh, that you can subscribe to for free at our website, miningstockreport.com, where we discuss a number of the same topics on the show, as well as uh, provide some insights on how to profit from investing in mining stocks. Well, there's a lot happening in the world of mining investment this past week, and I'd like to try and address as much as possible, so let's get the ball rolling. In the first segment of the show, we're going to reach into our mailbag and answer some questions from you, our listeners. Uh, We've been receiving these questions over the past couple weeks via Twitter and email. Uh, First, we speak with Derek Ivney, the CEO of of, uh, Puff Ventures. Puff is a unique company recently announced that they had acquired a lithium property in northern Quebec, right next door to Namaska's Wabuchi property. But Puff is hardly just a lithium stock. I will let uh, Derek expand on that when we speak to him in the next sector. Then we're going to discuss the emergence of lithium and why that market has been so hot in 2016. Uh, Listeners who want to leg up uh, what has been a banner year for lithium, we've got you covered and we can go over the ins and outs of this emerging market and find out how you, the investor, can make money from lithium stocks. Let's get our mailbag first and we've got lots of questions to field and not a lot of time to do it. Our first question comes from Brad in Colorado. Actually, uh, this is a question we were asked numerous times by people over the past uh, couple of weeks. Brad asked, do you guys have any mining stock tips? Which companies should I be buying? I've been burned by lots of these online newsletter writers, and I'm just looking for someone I can trust. Well, thanks, Brad. Um, And yes, we do have tips, and lots and lots of tips. But what we don't have are, are stock recommendations on this show, or what you're probably looking for, which are stock tips. Our goal at Mining Stock Report is, well, using the biblical reference, teach a man to fish. Now, due to a litany of compliance and legal reasons, not to mention ethical ones, we do not make stock recommendations on this show. What we do is teach investors how they can beat the mining market through the use of freely available tools and shrewd decision making. Our tips are designed to help you, those few investors who are willing to put the work in that's required to beat the market and profit from mining stocks. Look, I'm not going to beat around the bush. The world of mining stocks are inherently risky. It's a market that's unlike any other. But here's the good news. While the risks are high, so are the rewards. There are so few investors that are willing to put the work in that's required to weed through numerous ticker symbols and find the valuable gems that are well positioned for explosive growth. But if you're willing to put in the effort and you're willing to follow a disciplined approach to systematic due diligence, then you're already light years ahead of your competition. There are some excellent newsletter writers I'm not going to suggest otherwise. 
But if we were to start touting symbols or recommending buys and sells, then all we're doing is adding to the noise that's already confusing the market. We will encourage our listeners to check out our sponsors. We'll also reaffirm that before making any investment decision, please perform your own due diligence. It's vital if your goal is to make money. Okay, next question. Uh, this one comes in from Cheryl in Seattle, and I'm going to distill her letter a little bit. Uh, Cheryl wants to know, what is the single biggest risk with mining stocks? We keep talking about risk, and our interviews have highlighted a few, but what in our mind stands out as the biggest threat to shareholders realizing a return on their investment? That's a great question, Cheryl. Uh, in terms of risk, there are many things that investors need to keep an eye on. But one thing I believe can instantly improve your odds of making money in the mining market is to avoid politically and economically unstable regions and focus on proven mining areas. This is one of the reasons I like Nevada so much. There, this is a well-established public record of support for the mining industry with several major producers calling the state home. Sure, there are a lot of other areas of the world that offer potential for high-grade mines with cheap labor or potential huge mineral reserves. But you have to keep in mind many of these areas are just not suitable for substantial capital investment. Finding a new economic mineral deposit that's developed to a point where it's ready to be mined requires millions and millions of dollars in exploration costs, years of effort, and still there's no guarantee it'll become a mine. There are still environmental factors to consider, the required infrastructure such as road, labor, power, and then permitting process has to be taken into account. And this adds up to a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of effort, or as the market likes to call it, risk. If it's a large-scale mineral deposit, you may be looking at a potential you know, billions of dollars in capital investment to build a processing facility and the required infrastructure to facilitate scalable production. If that deposit is in a politically and economically sta stable region of the world that has a historical record of supporting new mining initiatives, well, the job of raising capital from foreign investment or joint venture partners is going to be considerably easier. And guess what? The share price of any mining stock is going to factor in that risk. It's going to compare apples to apples. A company operating in a less hospitable region of the world will likely have a significant discount built into the share price. And this is why I often filter out stocks from consideration if I'm wary of the region that they conduct operations. And that's not to say I don't consider things outside of Nevada or, or even North America, uh, because I most certainly do. There are many parts of the world that offer a hospitable environment to new mining initiatives and investors. The trick here is to, again, do your own due diligence and check the region's record. This is, again, where the Internet and the uh, Google can be your best friend. Okay. So here's our final question for the week, and it comes from an anonymous source. But I think this is an excellent question, so I want to make sure I read it out on the air. Um, they want to know a, a single tip that is not well known by the general investment public that we use at Mining Stock Report to identify potential winners when doing our own due diligence. Now, this is something I think is really important because the quality of a company's management is probably my number one focal point when doing initial due diligence. I was going to suggest looking into the background of management teams and directors to find whether they had a history of success or failure, but since more and more people are becoming acutely aware that management is critical to the growth and development of these junior mining companies, and that Google is indeed their friend when it comes to researching these individuals, I think I'm going to go in a bit of a different direction here. 
If you want to increase your odds of making big profits with mining stocks, you need to really weed out the garbage. The only way to do that is to get a shortlist that's manageable. I suggest you get a copy of a company's management discussion analysis, more commonly re referred to as the MDNA. All this information is publicly available with the SEC in the U.S. or CDAR in Canada, and you can find links uh, on our website with Mining Stock Report. If you don't want it in digital format, you can call a company's investor relations contact and have them send you a copy in the mail. Now, if the company is a non-reporting issuer, then just run away, move on. They're not worth any further effort. Once you've got this document, this uh, MDNA, I recommend you go through it. This is one of the most effective ways to understand what the company has been doing during the past quarter and for the past year. You also need to start looking through the numbers as there's a con uh, condensed financial data contained in the document. Now, financial data for a mining company can be a little confusing, especially ones that are aggressively conducting exploration activities. The mining, uh, the monthly burn rate for these stocks can be quite high, but that may not be a bad thing when the money is going directly into the ground or furthering assets in another manner. The MDNA, though, does a good job of putting these numbers into context. But what I try and focus on is to understand if the company is being a responsible steward of shareholder capital. Look at the salaries and the compensation that are being paid out to management and related parties. Now, I'm not going to suggest for a moment investors should expect management to work for free. But rather, if the MDNA is done correctly, you should be able to get an accurate picture of the operations that the company has been engaged in for the past year and quarter. If it appears that Little is actually happening in the operations department of the company, and yet management is rewarding itself, sometimes to a ridiculous level, by emptying the company treasury, then you need to ask yourself, why do you want to own a piece of this company? Management is the single greatest factor in forecasting the probability of success for a mining operation. It is just that simple. Good management protects the treasury, works to advance the property, and is capable of raising capital in even the most difficult of times. Good management does not run and does not hide. They work. They work for their shareholders. And one of the best, most effective ways to determine if the management team is going to be working for you is to read the most recent MDNA. That's the last of the questions. If you have any more questions for us to read out on the air, send us an email to host at miningstockreport.com. When we return from the break, we'll be speaking with Derek Ivany of Puff Ventures. So stay tuned to the Mining Stock Report on the Voice America Network. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more. NewLegacyGold.com. That's N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Again, N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the Mining Stock Report with Christopher Haugen. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to host at miningstockreport.com. Again, that's host at miningstockreport.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to the Mining Stock Report. Our next guest is going to discuss his rather unique company and their entrance into the lithium space. I'd like to welcome Derek Ivney to the show. He's the president of Puff Ventures. Puff uh, trades on the Canadian Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol PUF and over-the-counter in the United States under the symbol PUFXF. Welcome to the show, Derek. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, no worries. I, um, you know, I'd I like to th- get things started with uh, just asking, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with Puff Ventures. Well, um, I guess to go all the way back, um, I first started... Uh, in the public sector, or the, I guess the capital market sector, um, about, say, 14, 15 years ago. And initially when I got involved, I was studying at Carleton U in Ottawa, and I was always you know, into, into the stock market and whatnot, and I kind of transitioned to the IR space. And back then, mining and oil and gas was what was most prevalent in the marketplace, so I kind of started within that um within that area and found myself eventually moving out to Vancouver for a while where I got into mining. And, um, you know, I, I kind of, I started in in the uranium space in Saskatchewan and eventually, um, I ended up going in, uh, doing some stuff in Quebec. Uh, and, and that's where I established some relationships, which today have, um, I guess, made uh made the transition for puff very easily into this lithium space considering uh you know what we're trying to do with the company is is closely related to what Namask is doing with their property which I'll get into after mm-hmm. but essentially that's what um that's how I kind of got started in the business and then in terms of puff um I I got involved as CEO of puff I guess about 7 or 8 months ago yeah. and initially when I got involved with puff um, it was because I sold them uh, a private company of mine, which was in the vape space called Vapetronics. And, and part of that deal was um, I sold them uh, the Vapetronics asset, which um, became a wholly owned subsidiary. And what was in Vapetronics was, uh, or still is, um, is a, a technology called Weed Beacon and also some brands in the e-cigarette space. So that's kind of how I first got involved in Puff. And then I also, part and parcel with that transition, raised you know a bit of money for the company at that time, okay. uh, and then subsequently uh, after that, continued to do various IR stuff and uh, you know brought in a lot more investors into the deal to the point where um, you know my group kind of took over the whole thing, and, and here I am today as CEO, and you know I have a, obviously a large um, shareholder base that are, are from are with investors that uh, I've done work with for 
for a number of years. Um, in fact, some of the, the biggest shows of Puffer are people that I have had relationships with for over 10 years. So that's kind of how I got started with Puff and, and how I started initially in the mining space. Okay, so well, and which sort of gets to uh, why we wanted to talk a bit today here is because Puff is not really your typical mining company. Obviously, um, you guys own uh, assets in the vape space, and uh, with the, your recent announcement to purchase the lithium pro- property in northern Quebec, could we talk about the what the strategic decision behind that uh, acquisition was? Yeah, well, it's important to know that Puff, although um, I guess. Many think we're just a, a pure marijuana company. The company is actually, uh, it is a mining company by categorization. It okay. it started as a mining company with its initial IPO. Um, you know, back in the day before I got involved, they decided to, um, you know, look at other, uh, you know, alternative um, acquisitions and stuff like that. And they got involved with uh, the subsidiary called AAA Heidelberg, which is our marijuana facility in London, Ontario. And, um, you know, while they're doing that and, and waiting for, you know, the various steps of bureaucracy to move forward. Um, they always had a mining background up until I'd say six months ago or so when they sold off their last remaining asset. So I, when I got involved, knowing that it's obviously still a mining company and considering that we have a 45% interest uh, in the AAA, AAA Heidelberg subsidiary, I felt the need to, you know, still have a mining asset in the company. And that's kind of why when I was looking at getting something to to put in there that I thought would add the most value to shareholders, uh, as well as have the biggest chance for success in terms of delivering some long-term value uh, within the commodity space. That's how I kind of chose lithium, mm-hmm. and um, you know that, that's basically how that all came about. Mm. And so, you know, aside from your uh, previous relationship within Quebec, what was the specific interest uh, with regards to uh, Lac Saint Simon uh, lithium property? Well, two two things. Number one, um, the the property that we acquired is two kilometers north of a property, um, uh, a project called Labuchi that Namaska Lithium owns. So a lot of people are familiar with Namaska and the success, but I've actually was involved with Namaska from the beginning when when they did their first IPO. So I've been quite familiar with Namaska for a long time. I've you know did some private IR initiatives with with my group okay. in the in the company and had some very good relationships with people that work with Namaska. So that's how I found that specific project and how um, you know I got directed that particular area of the world. I, I like Quebec. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the, you know the the province of Quebec is is amazing when it comes to supporting mining companies. They they have heavily invest in northern infrastructure. Um, there's amazing rebates for companies that are continuing to do exploration and development. So Quebec offers, you know, an amazing area to, to do lithium exploration. And it obviously avoids the whole geopolitical risk of some of the countries that are bigger producers of lithium. Absolutely. So, so that's why I, I, I chose that particular area. Uh, and, and this property came about and when, when it was presented to me and it's close proximity to Masca, I, I had to take it. It just, it was, you know, it just made so much sense for what we're trying to accomplish. Absolutely. So the, it was the opportunity provided itself. Um, absolutely. And your thoughts on the growth and longevity of the, uh, the lithium market? Well, I, I obviously think that we're in a, you know, a, a whole, um, I guess energy storage revolution. Um, I guess 
I think lithium X coined that, coined that phrase, but, um, you know, everywhere you look, batteries are everywhere. My phone's always dying, <laughs> as is everybody else's probably. It's, it's, it's just, you know, it's annoying, but, you know, batteries are everywhere. It's a big factor in my life. Even my kids, everything they have from drones to their e-scooters and all this and that, everything requires batteries. So I think it's clearly evident that the, the demand for it it, it just continues a surge, um, and that doesn't even touch into the whole Tesla and auto, you know, electric car revolution, which is obviously going to take for, uh, take flight as well in a, in a bigger capacity as you know companies like you know Ford and GM expand and whatnot that. start yeah. Yeah, expand that, and even um, you know Mercedes is 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 starting to become a threat to Tesla. So you know everybody knows all that, and and I, I just I, I'm a long term believer. Of, of the particular commodity, I think it's going to continue to soar. Um, and we're also looking at alternative commodities that were, are within that space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so investors shouldn't be too surprised if they see something else happen. Super but, you know, that, that's why. Yeah, so more additional acquisitions could be on the way. Absolutely, yeah. We, we are evaluating several ideas right now. Um, you know, it all depends on, you know, if it makes the most sense for shareholders and we're, we're constantly trying to you know, deliver value, but it, it has to make sense for everybody. So, you know, there's some things we, uh, you know, we don't do and, and there's, there's some other things that we're, we're, we're in very serious discussions about doing. And what would be the, I guess, the, the near future plans here for um, work over at uh, LAC uh, Simone? Well, right now we're we're just wrapping up a, a financing that um, that it, we're doing a very small component of flow through um, at a premium here to the market. So um, basically, d- depending on weather, um, it's going to basically determine what we do. But okay. if we're, if we're doing something in the winter, you know, Quebec kind of gets you know gets pretty cold over there, but. The, the benefit of that is that we'd be able to take advantage of the ground in terms of the lakes being frozen and stuff like that. There's not a lot of vegetation there, so um, it's not a big expense in terms of line cutting. So we're going to be probably initially looking at uh, doing some uh, ground geophysics, uh, probably um, you know, a very low-frequency electromagnetic survey or something like that. Okay. Um, so that's kind of where we're going to start there. Uh, and then as we transition to the summer, uh, you know, we'll continue focusing heavily on the prospecting aspect, doing sampling, mapping, and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's what's coming out. So it's absolutely the, 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 the ground floor in terms of what we're going to be doing on the, the exploration side so far. You know, we've only made the announcement that we did the acquisition, but we haven't made any subsequent announcements about our exploration endeavor. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of head there, um, but we are working aggressively aggressively on that. So, you know, I I, I suspect there'll, there'll be several pieces of news coming out as we, uh, okay. you know, formulate the plan and, and move forward with that. And what are the the plans? Uh, I guess in the uh, moving forward, are you are, is the company's plan to stay with? essentially two different markets under under you know you've got the uh, marijuana and vapor space and you've got the mining assets yeah i, I kind of grouped the, the vape space and the marijuana stuff together just mm-hmm. because what we're trying to do there um it's all it all works hand in hand together um you know the the, the government made some announcements yeah several months ago that uh, allowed for certain producers to do derivative production. So that would consist of, you know, creating things like the vapors and liquids that you see these days. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole Vaptronics knowledge base and whatnot has a tremendous uh, ex- experience within that space. And that 
kind of connects together with the weed side of things. So um, I look at that as one, one side of the company and then the mining on the other side. So as we continue forward, if we're to get licensed, mm-hmm. um, you know, and as per our last press release, we're position number 20 with Health Canada as per their correspondence with us. But if we were to get licensed, obviously it's going to be a, a significant difference uh, where the company is now and then, but um, we'll be making a, a choice at that time on whether we're going to spin off the, the marijuana assets or spin off the mining assets into a completely new vehicle. So if we were to do that, um, obviously we'd give shareholders a, a distribution in terms of what that calculation is. Yeah. So they, yeah. they'd get essentially a, a free stake in, in the new entity kind of thing. Um, I don't know which company would be spun off, but because we are a mining company, as I mentioned to earlier, um, we, we, had, we do have a 45 point something interest in, uh, um, AAA Heidelberg. So it, as soon as we go over 50%, we'd have to do the full acquisition. We do have a share exchange agreement in place, but when we do do that, it would trigger a change of business. So that's why we haven't done the full acquisition. We are able to do it at any time. It's an open agreement. Um, but when we do do that, it triggers a change of business. And then at that, at, at that exact point in time, um, we would do the spinoff of either or. So there's a lot of things happening, but all these things, if they do come to fruition, they're all very positives. So, uh, you know, investors, I, th- I think, will be handsomely rewarded at that time. So exciting times here for Puff. So, sorry? It's exciting times here for, for Puff. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, we've, we've had an, an amazing run as of late. Um, you know, the, the whole marijuana space has, has seemed to, to rejuvenate to a certain extent. A lot of them are, are moving forward. But I, I think that in, compar- in comparison to a lot of the other guys, Puff seems to be undervalued. And, and it's my personal opinion on it. But, you know, if you just look at where we are with our market cap, we're around $8 million a share, or sorry, $8 million yes. total market cap. And... Um, that uh, that consists of not just the marijuana assets, but also the lithium asset, which I think on its own, when you look at some of the industry comparables for lithium, uh, there's there's quite a few that could substantiate that market cap just with a lithium project. Yeah, so, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot ahead, and I, I think it's definitely going to be an exciting time for uh, Puff investors. Well, you know, Derek, thank you so much for taking the time for us today to uh, to get a chance to speak with you with regards to both the, the lithium property and with regards to the uh, vapor and marijuana assets. of. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. We've been speaking with Derek Ivany of Puff Ventures. Puff trades in Canada on the CSE under the symbol PUF and in the U.S. over-the-counter under the symbol PUFXF. If you'd like more information on Puff Ventures, you can find it on our website, miningstockreport.com, or you can go to puffventures.com. That's P-U-F-Ventures.com. Now, I'd like to take uh, the time here to continue on from our conversation with Derek and stay on the topic of lithium. In terms of mining-related investments, gold stocks have dominated a lot of the discussion in 2016 which can really be no surprise to anyone. And while gold stocks have been had a banner year, lithium stocks have been going strong for 12 months consecutively. And that is a market move that very few investors had forecasted. So what's been driving investors into the lithium space? It's the growing consumer demand for mobile energy and energy storage. Lithium is used in the production of modern batteries that are used for a variety of growth sectors. Well established already is the use of mobile consumer electronics. Lithium is is needed to power your cell phone, your tablet, your laptop, and your smartwatch. The demand for these products has exploded over the past decade. The need for lighter storage and higher capacity seems ever going. 
But lithium-based ba batteries are also being used for cordless power tools, boat engines, and even golf carts. Again, these products are experiencing growing demand, and the need for more storage of energy continues to grow with that demand. But is perhaps a realization that we need to find a viable alternative for all automobiles powered by the traditional uh, combustion engine. In that regard, lithium is being used in batteries that power modern electric vehicles, such as Tesla's line of luxury performance cars. While oil will continue to be a player in the automotive sector for many years, I think it'd be foolish to believe it's going to disappear anytime soon. But it's equally as foolish to not see the trend away from oil. There are so many political factors driving the demand for lithium, not the least of which is the growing environmental concern over global warming. The stage has been set now for many years. There's significant consumer demand for an alternative to the gasoline-powered automobile. And recent innovations in the sector have developed products that are well-suited for the urban market. Lithium is at the core of those innovations. Aside from the automotive industry, energy storage is a major problem for renewable energy initi initiatives such as solar and wind. The thing to keep in mind is that solar panels used to generate electrical power often require the need to store that energy in a battery bank. Off-grid applications are a prime example of this type of requirement and has been an obstacle for a wider scale adoption of solar panels. The reality is that battery storage in these type of applications has been historically unreliable, expensive, required significant maintenance. But the recent advancement with lithium-based batteries have increased storage capacities, reliability, and cost-effectiveness. Expanded productive capacity is expected to further lower costs, uh, costs significantly over the next decade, which should provide a positive influence in the growing alternative energy market. All this bodes well for the lithium investor. So how can you, the investor, capitalize on this market and profit in, the, in their investment portfolio? The key here is to know that the market is still not mature. Keep this in mind. Look for opportunities in the space, space that offer large economic deposits inside mining-friendly regions with significant infrastructure. The early successes in this sector should be low-hanging fruit, where risk is tolerable. There are a number of U.S., Canadian, and Australian lithium, uh, lithium public offerings that give investors an opportunity to participate in this growing market. So focus on the ones that offer long-term potential. Things that investors need to keep in mind, lithium is considered reasonably abundant, so not all deposits are going to be economic. Oversupply is a real concern. This is why we suggest focusing on larger scalable operations where low-cost production may be necessary. Secondly, some of the larger lithium produ producers could scale their existing operations, which is one reason that existing producers may offer a more suitable choice to investors than an exploration property. It also points again to the potential concern for overproduction. And finally, building on the point above, a risky but intriguing investment strategy, look for exploration companies where quality, advanced stage properties are in close proximity to a major producer. The potential here lies in identifying a logical acquisition target, one that a major could expand their existing mineral resource or production. We have a number of articles on our website and discuss a number of the lithium companies in our newsletter. So if you want more information, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter at miningstockreport.com. When we return from the break, we'll be speaking with James Anderson of New Legacy Gold. You're listening to the Mining Stock Report on the Voice America Network.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more. NewLegacyGold.com. That's N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Again, N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the Mining Stock Report with Christopher Haugen. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to host at miningstockreport.com. Again, that's host at miningstockreport.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to the Mining Stock Report, and I'm your host, Christopher Haugen. I'd like to welcome to the show James Anderson, the CEO of New Legacy Gold Corp. Uh, New Legacy trades on the TSX Venture under the ticker symbol NUG and in the U.S. over-the-counter under NULGF. Uh, I've known James for several years and consider him to be a very good friend of mine. Uh, New Legacy Gold is a gold exploration company that is focused on the Cortez Trend property located in Nevada. Uh, it's in close proximity to uh, Barrick's Gold Rush deposit. Welcome to the show, James. We are good friends, and thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. Now, for the sake of our listeners, could you give our audience just a little bit of a background about yourself and how you got involved with New Legacy Gold? Sure. I was in the brokerage business in Vancouver, Canada for many years, and as part of the the brokerage community here in Vancouver, one of the, the sort of subsets of the brokerage community is we finance junior mining exploration all over the world. It's one of the things that the brokerage community in Canada does very, very well and kind of uniquely because there is no other facility worldwide to do that. So I was involved with that for many years. Uh, I got out of the brokerage business and in 2012, New Legacy Gold, which at the time uh, was run by a very long-term friend of mine, Albert Matter, who you know, Chris. Yes. And in 2012, New Legacy drilled a discovery hole onto this project that we were uh, exploring in Nevada. And that drill hole, our hole six on this property, returned 27 meters of 1.4 grams of gold. And that's very, very good. But more importantly, the head geologist that we have working with us, Roger Steiniger, was able to identify that as Carlin-type gold mineralization. And Carlin systems in Nevada can be very, very large. So uh, I met with Albert. Albert and I agreed that I should join the, the, the company as CEO. Albert became chairman. And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> Well, before we get into your, uh, I guess, your recent drill program, um, which I want to talk about, perhaps we could talk a little about the Cortez trend and why this is so significant to the company. 
So in most parts of the world, gold deposits do not happen just one at a time. Yeah. They almost always happen um, in trends or in, in areas where you get a whole bunch of, of gold deposits, mm -hmm. and that's where we explore. I mean, it's, it's a little bit, let's say, in the, in the oil and gas business. Um, we explore for oil and gas in West Texas. Uh, you don't necessarily explore for oil and gas in other parts of, of the world. There's not very much oil production in Hawaii, let's say. <laughs> Uh, so in Nevada, which is a very large and important gold mining jurisdiction, if Nevada was its own country, it would be the fifth largest gold producing nation in the world. So there's lots and lots of gold that's produced there. Most of that gold, though, happens in these Carlin-type gold systems that I've been referring to, and that's, yeah. they, they are named after the small town of Carlin in this part of Nevada. And then there are several trends that uh, happen generally on a northwest to southeast basis through the state. The most famous one is the Carlin trend, and it's most famous because the, the there is more gold that has been discovered and produced there than any other area, and it's a little bit older. We're working in the Cortez trend, which mm -hmm. is just south of the Carlin trend. Um, the, the discovery of the large deposits has been a little bit later than in Carlin, but arguably the deposits that are that exist in, in Cortez are even more robust, have more gold, and at a higher grade than even some of the um, the best Carlin deposits in wow. in the Carlin trend. Wow, that's uh, and for the listeners, if you want to, you can actually download. Uh, we have a, a map of the region, so you can get a better idea of where they're located in relation to other companies and and the Cortez and the Carlin trends. I'd like to discuss both the iceberg and uh, avocado deposits uh, because you've been really active uh, lately with your exploration. There was some recent news regarding the newly discovered avocado deposit that you had a significant, that's really had a significant impact on your share price and trading volume. Um, could you elaborate a little bit on this and what's, what's been going on there? Sure. So during the, the downturn in gold for the last few years, up until the beginning of 2016, we chose to expend almost all of our exploration dollars on what we call our iceberg deposit. So named because when we got the initial drill results, we felt that it might be just the tip of the iceberg in, in the whole deposit area. So we, we focused on that, spent most of our money there. Um, this year, however, we've chosen, because uh, we've got a little bit more money in our treasury, we've chosen to drill some exploration holes, some real wildcat holes, if you will, on different portions of this very large project that we have. So it's the, the project itself is 38 square miles in size. Uh, for those of you who, who are happier with metric, it's 98 square kilometers. Uh, but nonetheless, a very large area, and we've been able to go out and, and test some of these other areas. Mm -hmm. One of them is called Avocado. It's called Avocado because in plan view, the induced polarization geophysical anomaly that we were drilling kind of looks like a sliced <laughs> avocado. So I called it avocado a number of years ago and the name stuck. So uh, regardless, we drilled our second exploration hole into that this year, our second and third exploration hole. Both of them came up with very important gold mineralization in a completely new area that's about a mile and a half north of Iceberg where we've been spending our money and getting very, very good results. The first uh, of these two holes, which is our avocado hole number two, got a 200 meter, so it's a 655 foot interval of gold mineralization. It's at a quarter of a gram per ton, 
So it's fairly low grade. And some people will look at it and say, well, it's, you know, it's only a quarter of a gram, you know, it doesn't, you know, quite maybe make the, the, the economic grade, but having 655 feet of continuous gold mineralization in just the second hole that we've drilled out there, that's very, very important. And our geological staff, headed by Roger Steininger, feels that, feels quite strongly that we are likely to be just on the periphery of another gold deposit there. The, the next drill hole that we drilled out there got 25 meters of a gram. Uh-huh. So the, the grade has already started to improve significantly. Yes. And that one was 650 meters, so about 2,100 feet away from the, the, the other drill hole. So we've already established a, a very large area. It's virgin territory out there. There's almost no historical drilling. So it's a blank canvas and we're, we're very excited about it. Well, that's, that's great to hear. Um, now, aside from Avocado, New Legacy has also been working uh, on their iceberg deposit for the past several drill seasons. Um, please tell us what's going on with Iceberg and how the exploration company, uh, sorry, exploration program has been progressing. So once again, we've been spending most of our money over the last few years at Iceberg. We've drilled, as we speak, uh, almost 100 drill holes into Iceberg. And there's about eight or ten drill holes that are out for assay yeah. currently, and and you know we'll see. The, how much gold those ones have in them, but generally speaking, you'll be drilling into to November, uh, am I correct? Th- yeah, that's correct. We we actually had three drills turning on the property a little bit earlier, but what okay. we found is that we were getting the 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 data back, or the the we were drilling so quickly that the data was coming back too slowly for us to be able to adjust our drill patterns. So currently, we've just got one drill turning on the property, and we'll we'll likely go in that direction for the next couple of months. But back to Iceberg, I- Iceberg is a gold deposit that's about three kilometers long, up to 500 meters wide. The north zone and central zone is where we've been concentrating. There's a south zone to it as well. We've drilled about a half dozen holes into that. The first couple were very good. The next few weren't so good, so we've kind of put that on the back burner for a while. But at north and central zone, we get good, consistent carlin-type mineralization. It's all oxidized. Mm-hmm. And for your listeners, um, if I can just detail that for a moment, it makes a big, big difference in Nevada whether the mineralization is oxidized or sulfide. Ours is all oxidized, and what that means is that the good Lord has done a lot of your processing for you. You're able okay. to take that material, put it on a leach pad, uh, put some cyanide on it, come back 30 or 60 days later, and you're mining gold. So it's all oxidized, it's near surface, and it's very good grade. This is likely to be a very robust um, gold deposit for mining in the, upco- in the, you know, in, in the years ahead. Uh, and again, now is, uh, because it's oxidized, does that make it more economical? It, it certainly does. Um, if it's not oxidized, then you have to take the material and put it through either a roaster or an autoclave. It's uh, very capital intensive in Nevada, despite the fact that uh, the, it's such a great gold mining jurisdiction, really there's just Newmont and Barrick who have the big autoclaves. So to, to not have to go down that route, I think will be very beneficial for us. Okay, now we've talked about uh, avocado and iceberg, um, but this really is a large exploration property. Um, could you speak uh, to the size of the property and why this is such a unique feature for, for New Legacy? Yeah, it is. So it's, it's 38 square miles. So let's, you know, let's think about that for a second. Um, if you drive four miles in one direction, 
stop, turn right, and then drive for 10 miles <laughs> and make it square, it's a very, very big property. Yeah. We have the second largest land holdings in the Cortez Trend after our one of our major shareholders, Barrick Gold. Yes. Um, Barrick mines almost a million ounces of gold from the Cortez Trend per year. So you wow. Think about that for a second. It's 20% of the largest gold mining company in the world. Yeah. Gets its production right from here. But to the size of our property, um, we've probably only explored about 10%, <coughs> pardon me, of the whole surface area mm-hmm. of the of the land package. So we will be exploring there for many, many years to come. Okay. Now, you mentioned Barrick being a shareholder. You guys have built a really strong uh, shareholder base that includes a number of large mining companies and institutional investors. Perhaps you could tell our audience a little about uh, about this and why it's such an asset for New Legacy. I think it's a testament to the quality of the project, the size of the project, and the, the drill results that we've been getting over the last few years that we've managed to attract so many strong shareholders to the company. So our largest shareholder currently is Oceana Gold. Oceana is a mid-size Australian gold mining company. They have a corporate mandate to expand more in the Americas, and part of their investment in us is uh, a reflection of that. Oceana currently owns 17.5% of our company. They've been very, very helpful, very supportive of our exploration efforts. Barrick Gold, that's the largest gold mining company in the world, and uh, very active in, in the Cortez. As a matter of fact, on the highway, Leading into Cortez, there's billboards that say Barrick Gold Mining Country. So you you know you know you're in Barrick Gold Mining Country when you see that. Uh, but they own 11.5%, 11.8% of our company currently. Wow. Uh, Rob Kretschmeroff, who is Barrick's head of global exploration, has joined our board. So again, uh, just a reflection on what the exploration people at Barrick think of our project and of our exploration efforts. Uh, I guess well one one last one uh, again very supportive very helpful um, shareholder Tocqueville Gold Fund from New yes. York uh, it's one of the premier gold mutual funds in the world and uh, they've been very supportive of our efforts as well oh, that's great to hear and um, and what's the current cash position of the company it's about thirteen million Canadian dollars so about ten million U S dollars and what's the uh, current estimated market cap for the company about ninety million U S dollars okay. Uh, so, aside from the experience you've had in the Cortez trend, um, what are your thoughts regarding operations within the state of Nevada? Well, I was born in Timmins, Ontario, and Timmins, Ontario is a small city in, in northern Ontario, Canada. It's mining country. Mm-hmm. There's gold mines and base metal mines all over the place. And the people of Timmins like mining. It is They are miners. It is considered great economic activity to provide metals to the world marketplace. A lot of places in the world don't view it like that. A lot of places in the world view it as um, uh, an environmental problem. They don't see a, uh, a small open pit on a hill as economic activity. They see it as a, a blight. Mm-hmm. And the people of northern Nevada, they like mining. There's a lot of people who make a very, very good living from mining in northern Nevada. You can, you can get permits to explore in Nevada easily there is there is a rule of law and a permitting structure that works yep. it's not uh, you know it's it, it, it's not crazy easy to be able to get these permits there is a robust permitting process but it's knowable we know what we need to do to 
present to the regulators the permitting process, and we go about that. But you can permit in Nevada, you can explore in Nevada, you can mine in Nevada. So all of those things lead us as, a, as an exploration company to be driven towards Nevada. If we find a really large gold deposit here, yeah. our shareholders deserve to have the financial benefit of being skillful enough and lucky enough to be able to pull that off. Mm-hmm. There are lots of places in the world where as soon as you find yes. a big deposit, then there is some general or some colonel in charge who will steal that deposit from you. Yeah, absolutely. Political stability is a huge is a huge factor, I think, for these exploration companies. That I think I think so because again the this the 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 gold exploration business is difficult enough without having that asset stolen from you at the end of the day. So we we love Nevada. It's a great place to do business. The people of Nevada are are, are excellent. Uh, they're miners, and we just enjoy working there. And the and the infrastructure in and out of the properties. Well, that too is true. Um, you can drive a Chevette right in the <laughs> middle of our property. Uh, there are two paved highways to within about a fifteen or twenty minute drive. Okay. There are three. Well, there are two enormous gold mines within a fifteen or twenty minute drive. So the availability of of mining labor, the availability of electricity, water. Um, first world amenities, it's, it, it yeah. is beyond compare to mining anywhere else in the world as far as I'm concerned. Now, I know that uh, New Legacy has worked really hard to build a strong management team, both on, on, on the board, out on the field, and even in their uh, an advisory capacity. Could you tell us a little about your team and, and the strategy you've had there? Well, again, this asset has managed to attract a lot of good people. Uh, let me, I won't be able to name everybody that's associated with the, the company, but l- let me start with my business partner and our chairman, Albert Matter. Yeah. Uh, Albert, I've known for many, many years. Albert has many talents, but one of his very unique abilities is to be able to negotiate with big mining companies as well as anybody I know. Mm-hmm. This used to be one of Barrick's exploration projects. Yes. We ended up negotiating an exploration deal where we were going to earn a 70% interest and we managed to catch our friends at Barrick at a time last year when they were very focused on reducing their the, the, the debt associated with their balance sheet and straightening up their balance sheet a little bit. So at that time we approached them to buy the residual 30% that, of the project that we did not already own. So now we have 100% of it and a lot of that magic uh, just comes from Albert's innate ability to negotiate with big mining companies. Uh, Roger Steiniger, who's our other partner, head of, head, head of exploration for our company, based in Reno, Nevada. Uh, Roger has a, an encyclopedic knowledge of every square inch of Nevada, what's going on in terms of exploration uh, on, on various places in Nevada for 30 years. He's very imaginative in terms of his exploration process. Um, it's been you know, fabulous to work with him. Alex Davidson is on our board. Alex was head of exploration for Barrick for many, many years. Uh, he sits on the board of Yamana, which is another large mining company, but is on our board as well. And Alex is there because he believes, like we do, that we might be on to the next giant deposit in the Cortez trend. And he, he finds that very exciting, just as, as the rest of us do. Now, you mentioned Roger Steiniger, just to go back for a second. He's credited with finding one of Barrick's mines in this region, is it not? That's correct. And if I, if I did not mention that already, how dare I? 
<laughs> uh, Roger is credited with the discovery of three gold deposits in the western United States, which uh, is very unusual for, for any geologist. Uh, but he's also credited with the discovery and, and drilled all of the first holes at the pipeline deposit, which is right, it's about 25 miles away from where we're working. Mm -hmm. Same geological environment. So Roger knows the rocks in this area as well as anybody uh, and has continued success, continued exploration success all through his career. Before we go, I'd like to get your thoughts on the resurgence of the gold market this year and the dramatic effect it's had on many of the gold stocks out there. Uh, what are you thinking here that this trend will continue and uh, how do you see gold over, the say, the next couple of years? Well, for your listeners, I guess one thing that I should point out that uh, I might view gold just slightly differently than some people. Some people view gold as a commodity. Mm-hmm. Well, gold is not a commodity, certainly not a regular commodity, because we really don't consume it. About 95% of all of the gold that's ever been mined in the world still exists. Gold is a currency, and in a lot of ways, it's the perfect currency. And it's the perfect currency mm-hmm. because governments cannot bastardize it. They cannot print it up out of thin air and distribute it. In the United States, but also throughout the world right now, we have a situation which is un- unparalleled, really, uh, in world history, where every currency, every governmental, yeah. government-issued fiat currency on the planet is being diluted and bastardized as we go forward. So, In many cases, even as a strategy, an economic strategy of, the, of these governments. They're not, they're, they're not hiding this, no. really. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's hiding in plain view <laughs> is what it is. So our, our Japanese friends, for instance, they've had interest rates that are close to zero for two decades now. They have had quantitative easing where the central bank in Japan simply prints up money out of thin air mm-hmm. and buys government bonds. But now they've gone past that. And they're taking their newly fresh printed yen, and now they're buying equities. The the central bank in Japan is now a top five holder of the biggest 20 companies in Japan. How you unravel that Mm -hmm. is beyond me. I have no idea why there's still a bid on Japanese yen is beyond me as well. But in Europe, the same thing. Um, Their central banker, Mario Draghi, has been debasing the euro for some time now. The quantitative easing program that they're engaged in right now is 2 billion euros a day. Wow. It's incredible. And the United States, the, the, we have, we've had three um, rounds of quantitative easing. They've stepped away from that right now. Mm-hmm. Will they continue to raise interest rates? I don't see how the Fed can raise interest rates in a world environment where we have negative interest rates. So one way or another, uh, I, I have all the confidence in the world in central bankers and in politicians that they will continue to destroy the value of fiat currencies, fiat currencies and government-issued currencies. That's where gold comes in. Gold stands as a currency beyond that. And I think going forward, at least for the next few years, I, I don't really see very much that can hurt gold. I think that gold can be can be very, very can be, can be well supported in this financial environment. James, thanks for joining us today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. The pleasure is mine. Thanks for inviting me, Chris. I, I can't wait to do it again. We've been speaking with James Anderson, the CEO of New Legacy Gold. New Legacy trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the ticker symbol NUG, or over the counter in the in the United States under the symbol NULGF. 
If you'd like more information on New Legacy Gold, we encourage you to check out our website, miningstockreport.com, or go to newlegacygold.com. We always advise people to perform their own due diligence, so if you have a question about this interview or New Legacy directly, call their investor relations contact. Thank you again for tuning in. You've been listening to the Mining Stock Report on the Voice America Network. I'm your host, Christopher Haugen, signing off, and good luck in the markets. Thank you for tuning in to the Mining Stock Report. Please be sure to join Christopher Haugen again next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, for another edition of our program on the Voice America Business Channel. Here's hoping that you have a profitable week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.